1: If you want to put your money to work in real estate, but can't find deals, don't have the time to get funding, and the last thing that productive people want to do is manage real estate. We find the deals, we fund the deals, and we manage the tenants, the termites, and the properties. Partner with us at investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Go to investwithharborside.com. If you love real estate, you like the idea of passive income, and believe that income producing properties will appreciate over time, go to investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today, we have Meg Epstein, based in Nashville, Tennessee. She's a real estate developer with over a decade of experience and has been involved in development and construction of over 1 million square feet of residential and commercial real estate, representing over $780 million to date. So thank you so much for being on the show, Meg.
0: Yes, thank you for having me.
1: So give us a little background of yourself, both personally and professionally, prior to getting involved in real estate investing and development.
0: Um, Since I graduated from college, um, I wanted to be a developer, but I graduated in 08, and so (laughs) it wasn't the best career path to take, Um, so I got a job in construction, actually, so I was on job sites for the first um, couple years of my career and really uh, learned construction and project management that way and building, so it was definitely very different from what I do now, but obviously related
1: Nice. Okay. And so why, when you chose, I guess you moved from California, why did you pick Nashville as uh, I mean, it's a growing, it's a growing city within Tennessee, which is a growing state. Why did you choose that as the place for you to move to uh, start your construction business there?
0: It was actually um, more of a spontaneous thing. My husband, when I met him, he was from San Francisco and he, had moved to Nashville just kind of on a whim because he came for a weekend and he liked it so much. Um, So yeah, that was basically, I met him and I came and visited one time and then just moved here. So it was kind of very fast, but I, I liked the city when I came. It was like 2013 and 14, like very different city, but um I still, could, you know, I knew I would like it here.
1: Nice. Awesome. So your firm, CA Self Development, what types of construction projects does your company currently focus on um, at this time?
0: We are primarily focused on mixed use urban infill projects. So, apartments with retail below, you know, more in denser areas um, of Nashville. And then we also do industrial, and our industrial projects are meant for more middle market tenants, not like big box, you know, like Amazon type tenants, more middle market tenants. And we basically chose those asset classes, um, based on the data that we saw in Nashville and the Southeast in terms of what was being really undersupplied.
1: Yeah. Uh, residential and industrial are pretty much hot everywhere. I'm being in Florida in the whole Southeast. It's something that is lacking, uh, especially industrial and, um, what are, when you're doing these industrial projects and you're doing any type of improvements to them for tenants, um, like what, what type of businesses are going into them? You said not big box, uh, like industrial uh, companies that might need it, not big box stores.
0: Yeah, it's actually given us an upper hand um, with, I mean, it's so competitive to find land now. It's obviously really strong seller's market. But when we go to work with a lot of sellers in Nashville, they're, you know, construction related businesses or just kind of um, in, even industrial businesses and they, but they're sitting on land that's worth so much and having the industrial platform has been able to allow us that to, you know, help them in the process of finding them new locations. And um, and so we, we, that was kind of how the idea came about. We saw that trend of, you know, strong, strong rent peers, but just, you know, 20,000 square feet, you know, like an HVAC company, for example, or um, a lot of construction related businesses, or even just retail e-commerce, like as retail goes away, people need smaller, you know, they're not some big, um, they don't need, you know, 500,000 square feet, they need 50,000 or 20,000 square feet. Um, So those are kind of those middle market businesses we target with that product.
1: Oh, that's 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 great. That's awesome. Um, so for different funds that you're running now, which I found very interesting because you have a qualified opportunity fund. And can you tell us more about what you're targeting with that?
0: Um, our opportunity zone funds. So we've set up, I guess, almost five single asset um op zone funds now. So we've gotten we've been pretty much on the forefront of that since the legislation came out in 2018. Um, and like I said, I think we have six five or six um, op zone projects. Um, So we kind of understood the nuances of that and we have a great legal team that deals deals with that. But we basically just target opportunity zones, um, projects, and it's all ground up. Not all of it, actually our new headquarters is in an opportunity zone. And you have to, as part of the legislation, you have to double your basis, but it's basically just these geographic areas that are designated as opportunity zones that give the investors the tax advantages of holding for long term so usually those projects are in urban locations where the city wants you know development and and building um to be sparked so in some cases it's they're not really in like you know it's what the idea originally was for it to be in neighborhoods that really need a lot of gentrification or you know more investment but in Nashville, they're placed pretty competitively in really yeah. prime neighborhoods. So um, it just depends. You know, we kind of tailor the product type depending on the neighborhood.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting that you said that because I was doing some research on just and talking to some other qualified opportunity fund uh, developers. And there's like over 8,000 of these qualified opportunity fund zones in the United States. And um, they're finding that a lot that they're finding these zones that are not where you'd think they are, but where they've been zoned. And it's actually right where you'd really, where there's a wave of gentrification. So you're finding that as well in Nashville?
0: Yeah. And different cities are are really, you know, varies wildly. I mean, Nashville, is very yeah. close to the urban core. Um, I think Chattanooga is another market we were looking at, which is obviously pretty close to Nashville, but I think their entire downtown is in an opportunity zone. Um, and then you have other markets like LA and Austin where it's you know way far out of the urban core, and right? you're not going to get them unless you go hours outside of downtown. So it just I think it just depends on. Um, I mean, I'm assuming it was highly political when they made, those, <laughs> when they made yep. those tracks, but
1: yeah, interesting. So, as uh, over this last 10 years plus that you've been doing real estate ve- uh, development, I mean, real estate is a very capital intensive business. How'd you start off raising capital for your deals? And now you've grown into uh, raising capital for funds for these developments.
0: Yeah, I first started, um, I took the CCIM courses, which are like a broker designation course, which is like kind of like a mini, most masters in real estate or something. And it was very beneficial for me because it's a very practical um, application of investment, you know, investment underwriting for, for real estate. And I found that um, that was, you know, my first foray into actual investment. And a lot of people have a lot more. I mean, I have people on the team that are so <laughs> sophisticated in terms of how they underwrite and Excel and, you know, investment banking backgrounds and things like that. But I didn't have that. So I um, I took those class, those courses and I got my first deal together I just really went online and like Googled where to get real estate capital. And you know, I mean, I just did a lot of cold calling just kind of to whoever I could talk to about how to invest in real estate. And I knew I didn't want to syndicate. Um, one, because I just didn't know a lot of people that had money. Um, you know, typically when people start out, they get their first apartment deal and then they go to friends and family and hobble together a couple million bucks. And I just I just didn't know people that had a lot of money and I didn't want to do that. And so I looked for more of like one, you know, private equity fund that would invest. Now I didn't have a track record or anything, but um, the first one I found was off of the CCIM directory. I think I did a posting of the deal and I was like, this is in Nashville. And this is like in 2016 and so, in Nashville was gaining popularity, but it wasn't like what, what it is now in terms of like big darling investment market. So he, um, flew down to Nashville. I mean, it took me, I called him, you know, a lot of times, but he never said no. So I just kept following up and then he came down to Nashville, looked at the deal. It was like, okay, I'll do this deal. And he structured it in a way. Um, it was really lucky for me because he took a chance on me. I mean, I called hundreds of people though. So I don't know you can call that luck or you can call it, you know, just odd, but, um, he came down and we struck, he structured the deal in a way to where it would be extremely hard for him to lose money because I didn't have any money to put in the deal. Um, and so he provided all the capital, I provided the deal, we worked together. Um, and anyways, it ended up being extremely successful for both of us. So he invested in more deals and then I attracted, you know, as, as we grew and our deal sizes grew to being you know, typically over 50 million or so a deal, then we started, you know, working with more institutional investors. And that's who we work with exclusively now.
1: Yeah, I imagine that's much easier to put those deals together with just having a handful of investors compared to having a number of different limited partners that you're
0: raising funds through. Yeah. And that's I think we touched on this earlier, just in terms of it's it is easier to do larger projects. And I think a lot of people spend a good portion of the beginning of their career syndicating and And um, yeah, it's just never been, I've never seen that to be, I don't find that very scalable. So Mm -hmm. I avoided that.
1: When you're saying larger projects are easier, is it saying not just raising capital, but is it also with managing the whole project finding places to put, I mean, like everything goes together, I would imagine it's much easier to find your contractors and vendors because they want bigger deals. We find that multifamily all the time. Um, I'm going for somebody to price out uh, some sort of work for a property. When you tell me you have 100 units, it's a much different story than if you're looking for five or 10 units. And are are you finding that throughout the whole project, it's just much easier to do these larger projects?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, there's just to be fair, it's like a precursor. There's nothing easy about ground up development at all. Right. I mean, I, um, it's, I started and I built a con a ground up condo building and a ground up office condo building, which are like with no track record. I mean that I wouldn't recommend that to anyone because it is extremely difficult to do ground up development, let alone in an asset class like condo, um, that isn't, you know, it's not like building multi-family building and so it's a lot less financeable and so there's not i don't you know it was extremely difficult getting through all of the heartache of learning you know the ins and outs of development but now that i'm there i would say yes it's easier i mean it's there's it's definitely more competitive as you get into the larger deals um because you have a lot more institutional shops with a lot of capital behind them looking at them but and especially in more markets that I spend time in and built relationships like Nashville to when you if you have the deal um if you can find the deal then yes doing larger deals you know you get one equity check from from an investor you um get a lot more I mean in this market trying to find general contractors that can execute and show up to your job sites is a whole challenge in itself and so when you you know if you're building they have an 80 million dollar contract there. definitely you're going to get some very professional groups um and it just kind of goes that way throughout the entire deal stack in terms of you know architecture and and um, financing and everything so yeah so
1: over 10 years plus of doing all these types of developments, uh, how important have you found it to do proper due diligence on people that you're working with or partnering with on deals?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's extremely important. Um, we do, you know, on the team, we, we have a pretty extensive, on my team, we have a pretty extensive background um check process and just interview process and not just for ourselves but also for the you know the people that join the team because we want to make sure that it's the right fit for them as well and it is very um you know we're very hard charging and a lot of people on the team and everyone's extremely smart and talented and um to work in that environment it takes a certain type of person that has similar goals some people don't want to you know be horribly aggressive and grow very quickly and build massive buildings. And, um, that's fine. It's just, that's what it takes to work here. Right. So, um, so we go through a pretty extensive process for that. You know, I have people interviewed by my board members and we come meet the team and testing and background checks and a whole extensive thing, just because I think it's, um, we're, we are small. I mean, we're, we've grown very quickly, but we're still relatively small. And so working so closely, people have to be, you know, comfortable with each other. And then on the partner side, um, yeah, I mean, mainly we're taking capital from institutional partners. So there's not like a lot of background checks to do, but you do, you always spend time with your investors and go to dinner and kind of get to know, unless it was during the pandemic, I never met any of them and we did some deals just over zoom, but beyond that, it's like, there's a lot of places to get capital from. And at the end of the day, like I don't want to be working with someone that's not aligned with one. Like I care a lot about the architecture of the projects and I care a lot about how the end product ends up and how people live in it and not just building a stamp and repeat, you know, 300 unit apartment building, that looks like everything else. And so one of my investors is a public REIT, and The reason I started working, one of the reasons I started working with them is because a lot of those, a lot of reads just tend to be really utilitarian in the design and it's just like, it's just about like almost a commoditized product. And this one I'm working with really cares about that dialogue of creating, you know, creating healthy spaces and kind of shaping the urban landscape in a way that's different and really spending time on the floor plans so that they um supply what's undersupplied in that market like in nashville there's an undersupply of three bedrooms for example and so we, we really look at those things we look at oh how is the pandemic shaped how people live and work from home do they mean you know we need to have areas or rooms where people can have separate zoom calls if the husband and wife are working at you know in the same apartment things like that so they spend yeah. a lot more time so you can get money i can get money from a lot of places now but i don't, i don't one i want to work with people that are positive and you know i've had my share of experiences from like um <laughs> just you know people from like more like a new york attitude like to kind of <laughs> a-holes and i just don't need it right so i can i want to get i want to have people you know we create more partnerships and that goes down with any type of work that your listeners are doing or any people that are partnering it's like in any sort of venture even if you're flipping a house it's like you're spending it's going to be consuming a lot of your life and you want to spend that with people that you know are aligned and are positive
1: yeah i know exactly what you mean because there's definitely people i've met and you walk away and you're like i would never take a dollar from this person you know what yeah I mean? it's just like just if this is how it is and we haven't even done anything then it's just um it's going to be quite a painful five, seven years plus that our relationship will be for this deal. So.
0: Yeah. um, It's the same way that I work with my employees. I don't treat people like, you know, they're so like with my investors, it's, I know what I'm giving them is very unique and our track record's extremely strong. And those, there's a lot of liquidity in the market right now. And there's, so they're not, it has to work for both sides. Like I don't, you know, I can get capital somewhere else.
1: So what kind of mistakes do you see real estate investors make throughout your decades of experience? Oh,
0: man, like what kind of real estate investors like?
1: Just like anything that you've seen. I imagine you turn down a ton of deals. Uh, People partner with you. People want like just uh, in general, it could be in any kind of asset class over anything that you've done in your career. Like what's something you might see that comes up and comes up, um, you know, a couple points. It could be anything specifically.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, I made a lot of those mistakes in the very beginning when I just didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I think, um, you know, I kind of learned the school of hard knocks, but I think like underlying people do tend to uh, get excited about real estate and projects and neighborhoods and things. And I think that it's really, really like to be a steadfast investor and make strong returns over Um, a long period of time and not just get lucky by compressing cap rates or Nashville being a super hot market the last five years that you have to be really diligent in looking at data. And we always talk about being data driven, but I tend to be really unemotional in terms of the uh, approach I take with looking at the information and trying to, you know, I mean, you can spend a lot of time on a deal and you have to be able to walk away if The numbers just don't work, you know, and that's something we've become pretty utilitarian about. And I think I've seen people, um, you know, I just get pitched things and I'm just like, this just doesn't make sense. And it just amazes me how far people get down the line or, you know, how much people are willing to pay for land. And and I'm going, okay, you're paying that. All that's happened since you know you're looking at a deal all that's happened in the last 6 months or year is that construction costs have increased by 15 to 20%. But now the sellers want 20% more for your land and you have to look at that and really go okay can this market it's not like renters are just going to be like okay I'll just pay 20% more now yeah. because we have so much less jobs with pandemic it just doesn't make sense you have to like really look at the numbers and so when we do a deal, we're looking at a lot of the demographics that are surrounding it and not just doing what we've done because we've done it, you know? Um, and so I think being, not being data-driven enough is a common mistake. I think, um, uh, I mean, I think it goes towards different, if you're looking at it from the investor side or you're looking at it from the sponsor side, but I think, yeah, partnering with the wrong people, um, don't don't partner with friends, so that's fine. Um, I think, gosh, there's been, there's been a few, but I think just doing the wrong deal, getting in at the wrong basis is always just a, a basic. Um, and one thing I see younger sponsors or younger developers make the mistake of is, is and I made this mistake too, is uh, getting, paying too much for debt. And, you know, there's a lot of these, especially if you're just starting out and trying to like flip a home or something like that, it's like, you know it's easy to get into those situations where you're, you know, it's like, it's um, what do they call those lender, like shark, lend, you know, like shark yeah. lending or something like that. Like I see a lot of people kind of get um, into loans and then once you're in it, you're really screwed until you can get out of it. So that's a big, you know, watching carry costs and not project managing to manage that is a big problem.
1: Yeah. Walking away is uh, one thing you said earlier is much more difficult than it sounds because after the more time you involve in a deal, it's just one of those things emotionally that you have to, but you have to be able to have that discipline to, you know, to cut and walk and go to your next deal. So, but yeah,
0: um, my, my solution for that is I just, we have a very strong pipeline and we do <laughs> usually around 10 deals at once. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you have a, I think that's where people make the mistake is they get, they only do one deal at a time and they get fixated on that. And then and then it's, so that's how we kind of mitigate. We have a lot going on at once.
1: So as uh, as we're uh, finishing up here, Meg, what do you think are the main factors that have contributed to your success over the years?
0: Um, I get asked this and I think it changes, but I think generally, um, I've I've always done a lot of outreach and I cold called. I still cold call people for you know I'm raising a fund, my second fund now, um, and I think that skill set is gone like wasted a lot in the next generation. And you talk and you know I listen to a great podcast uh, called How I Built This um, with Guy Raz. Guy Raz. All the all those entrepreneurs, all of them like cold, like cold call or like reached a lot of people that are very successful have done like door to door sales or something, you know, something that requires a lot of outreach and, um, a lot of, you know, it's scary, but you kind of get over that hurdle of getting out there and putting yourself out there. So I think that's definitely been, I do a lot of, I've done a lot of outreach and conferences and things like that. Um, so that's always, I think key to being successful in whatever you're doing is just being willing to, you know, constantly network and put yourself out there. And, Mm -hmm. um, and then I think perseverance is a big one. I mean, I've had, I always tell a story of one of my very first deals to my team when anyone, you know, we do our, our retreats and when anyone starts, but this deal was totally screwed. It was my first deal. And I learned all those bad lessons on that deal. And we literally just sold it for, I think it was like a 45% IRR and, um, a great equity multiple. Wow. total home run We sold it for way more than anyone thought. So that took, you know, five years of just perseverance and you, you, you can walk away if it's a bad deal, but I was already in, I already had my money in, so I had to figure it out. Um, so I think persevering is something that is a common theme of what I say, which is Seems generic, but it just whatever you're doing, you know, really having the gut to push through and and really get something done. Um and then I'm just very, I'm very active. I do a lot in one day. I think a lot of people underutilize themselves in terms of what you can accomplish in a day. And um, you know, I wake up very early, I set a lot of goals for myself. Um at the beginning of the year, I set all my goals and I fill my day with productive activity that works towards those, whether it's, you know, my work or my husband or my um, philanthropic efforts or whatever you care about. I think, I don't know. I don't watch television. I read a lot. I don't, I don't spend a lot of time being unproductive. And I think that makes me really happy and it's definitely contributed to the success of the company.
1: Awesome. Awesome. So how can our listeners learn more about you and your business, Meg?
0: So we keep, um, we try to keep, everyone pretty updated on LinkedIn um, in, in, and Instagram. So CA South developments, the Instagram handle, but it also goes through the CA South uh, LinkedIn and also my page, Meg Epstein. Um, so we try to, you know, keep people pretty abreast of what we're doing that way.
1: Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I'll put those links into our show notes and looking forward to connecting with you in the near future.
0: Thank you very much.
1: Bye-bye.